Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. a wonderful life? What gives life meaning or makes for a meaningful life? What does it even mean to have a wonderful or meaningful life? All right, we're going to address all of those questions this morning. It is the 23rd of November. My leadoff conversation partner is one of my favorites. His name is Nick Pitts. Before Nick joins us uh, to talk about what makes life meaningful or what makes for a meaningful life, I thought I would dip back a few years and see what has been said on this topic in prior days and times. So if we talk about meaning, I think of the three big life questions, identity, belonging, and purpose, we're talking about the purpose question, right? So if if every issue boils down to a God issue, and if every sort of life conversation boils down to a conversation about either identity, belonging, or purpose— and that purpose question could also be asked as a meaning question. What have sociologists found over time when asking the meaning or meaningfulness or purpose question? Well, in 2014, we have an interesting study out of Stanford University. They were um, trying to discover, sort of in a quest for meaning, what's the key part? Like, what's the key part? Is it that people are questing for meaning or are they just questing for happiness? And that's ultimately um, the conversation that they distilled down in in 2014. They they found a number of differences between people who see their lives as filled with meaning, meaning, like people who are living a meaningful life and those who described themselves as happy. So the pursuit of happiness is what the Constitution guarantees, right? You can pursue it all you want. You may never arrive at it because happiness is as fleeting as the moment uh, in which you perceive yourself to be happy. And then there's a quest for the pursuit of the next happiness. So this happiness pursuit um, is horribly temporal. And so these Stanford sociologists discovered people who were actually pursuing meaning people who were pursuing a meaningful life or saw their life as meaningful regardless of their happiness were actually happier people. Now, that's curious, right? That's very curious. So they found a number of differences between people who see their lives as fulfilled or filled with meaning and those who just describe themselves as happy. So happy people saw themselves as getting what they wanted. Happy people saw themselves as getting what they wanted. People who saw their lives as meaningful were actually not as healthy, not as wealthy, and not as happy as the people who saw themselves getting what they wanted. But the people whose lives were meaningful 
saw themselves as significant because they were able to give to others. So their capacity to give, regardless of their relative happiness, their capacity to give versus to get is actually what gave their lives a sense of meaning or meaningfulness. Another finding is that happiness is focused on the present and meaning links the past and the present to the future. So when people spend time remembering the past and thinking about the future and therefore find meaning and purpose in their own day and time in the present, they are actually, come to find out, less happy. But they are ultimately more fulfilled than the people who exclusively focused on the here and now, the moment, the happiness, um, because they actually see their lives and themselves as less meaningful. So there you go. Those are some context points that I would just lift up this morning and ask the question, are you happy? And then ask yourself this question. Do I see my life as having meaning and purpose even in the midst of my relative unhappiness? Lots of people are going to watch It's a Wonderful Life as a part of their personal and family sort of preparation for Christmas. So what actually makes for a wonderful life? What gives life meaning? We're going to discuss that next with Nick Pitts. We'll be right back. Joining us now, Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. Nick, good morning. Why, hello, Carmen. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, Eve. It is a great day to be with you. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, Eve. I have a turkey in my oven right now and a ham because today is Thanksgiving lunch at Matthew's Ooh. school, and I nobody volunteered to bring the meat. I mean, imagine, right? Because mm. nobody, it's mm. like kids and parents. Okay. And so, you know, it's a lot of meat. And so I saw that, and I'm like, you know, I'm not hosting Thanksgiving at my house this year. I can bring the turkey and the ham to the school lunch thing. So okay. they're in the oven now. Okay. Pray that they will both be at an internal temperature of 165 before I need to take them out and slice them. Well. Well, I, I think that's going to happen, but I, it does raise the question, though. I, I've got a question mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Are you not a fried turkey person? You know, I love fried turkey, but I definitely did not think that gallons of boiling peanut oil in my driveway while I was trying to do the show this morning was at all a good idea. <laughs> that's all. So I'll, I'll tell you, before I was in my current job, I used to be a college minister. And we used to do a a college Thanksgiving feast, and it had grown in popularity toward the end of my time there. And so the the men of the church just absolutely loved doing the fried turkey. So we had Mm -hmm. at the end, we we fried about 20 turkeys, um, and everybody loved bringing their fryer. And so we had this one little alleyway by the church where all the men would put their turkey fryers. And uh, it was an old pastor had a stopwatch. Um, ready to check times, et cetera. It was a it was a hoot in time. Did anybody ever drop a cold, wet turkey into a hot fryer? Because that's an exciting oh, no moment. Way. No okay. way, no right. way. Thankfully, yeah. that would have t- the cold, wet turkey would have made it a really hot time in all the wrong ways. Exactly. 
<laughs> All right, let's uh, let's talk about this Pew research that you and I both um, took a gander at. Um, what makes life meaningful? What did um, Pew hear from people around the world? Yeah, so around the world, 17 advanced economies. So we're dealing with develop, uh, developed countries and what they're continuing to find across um, what seems to be a universal experience is that individuals are saying that family um, is the most uh, is one of the most significant sources for bringing meaning and purpose in someone's life, followed closely by um, work and friends and community and mental health. And it's just, you know, it's just one again, what we see is it it very much is fascinating to see how closely um, from your prior segment, what we're seeing about the idea of meaning and work and the pursuit of meaning and work, as well as the the end result being happiness that comes about because of it. So I think as a person um, who would put God or faith at the top of that list and not um, because, you know, I think that's the right answer on a Christian radio show, but because mm-hmm. that's actually how I operate and function. I love my family, but yeah. my family is, you know, a sacred trust of God. They belong to him first. Um, they're, mm-hmm. I'm on loan to them. They're on loan to me. Um, you know, I'm, I am definitely one of those family of faith people. Like, I feel genuinely um, connected to my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world in ways much more significant than I feel connected to non-believers who might be walking on the street next to me here in America. Um, And so I get this totally at a humanistic level, um, but I think for people of faith, there's there's something here for us to think about and talk about in in terms of God's actually good created order and design and how that's reflected in this um, research and how that gives us I think, an opening of opportunity for conversation with others, I mean, to ask some why questions. Um, so, Nick, let's take a very brief break. Let's let's okay. come back and let's till that soil. Why okay. is it that regardless of where people live around the world, they value family in terms of what gives life meaning? We're going to have that conversation with Nick Pitts. We're also going to ask about uh, the turkey, ver- I mean, the dressing versus stuffing question um, of yesterday's show. It is Taste and See Tuesday. And so, yes, we will have the Thanksgiving sides and Thanksgiving pies inquiry next. Okay, that's because Paul's trying to, to find pie songs. I got more. <laughs> don't worry. I got more. Is that, is that your effort at a pie song? I'm, I don't. It's... Uh, it's just the initial volley. I have more. Sugar pie honey bunch. Okay, that leads us to ask Nick a question about marriage. This is going to be oh, your yeah. first um, your first Thanksgiving with your bride. So we're excited for you about that. Um, you and I are looking at some recent research um, from Pew. What makes life meaningful? They looked at uh, folks in 17 advanced economies around the world, and family topped the list. Work work made the list. Material well-being made the list. Health made the list. But family um, was preeminent. Were you, was there anything about this that surprised you in terms of, like, goodness, godliness, advancing the kingdom? Like, that doesn't make the list at all. It's not even on the list. Yeah. Yeah, like, so there's like a small percentage. It's not even, I, I mean, it's probably within the margin of error. I think it was like 2 to 3% from a 
all, when you looked at all 17 countries. But one of the things that, again, I just kind of go back. I, when I was reading the article, it reminded me of uh, what some of the work of Arthur Brooks and what he's done mm-hmm. relative to happiness. Um, Brooks says that about 50% of our happiness is determined by our genetics. It's just something that we can't, uh, we can't impact. It's just something that we're built into, but another 50% of happiness is determined by certain circumstances and what we find ourselves in. And specifically when we commit ourselves to one, the tending of family two, the tending of our friendships, three, the idea of having a work. Uh, having some place that's counting on you on Monday morning, and then for kind of a religion, uh, philosophical worldview of life that takes into account suffering and pain. And so it makes sense because um, because when I think about the pursuit of happiness, it's that opportunity that we have to be able to put our hand and commit ourselves to those things that we have before us. And then two, um, looking at this in particular, it seems as though individuals are kind of revolving around those universals. Uh, I, I want to be needed. That's where I. That's where I can go to work. Your friends need you. Your family needs you. But also, I'm keenly aware, like you've mentioned, and I hear what Jesus says in Luke 14 of this idea that unless you hate your father and mother, right? Don't pursue after me. It's this idea of I want. I want to love somebody. I want to love God so much that out of the overflow of that love, it impacts my relationships with my family. It impacts my relationship with friends. It impacts how I show up to work this morning. It impacts, you know, I I want that love to be supreme, that love for God to be supreme in my life. And in turn, I think everything else in your life benefits because of it. So I'm just going to make an observation here. So I'm looking at the Mm -hmm. chart um, in terms of like, okay, all these 17 countries listed out that they looked at and the categories in terms of first, second, third, fourth, and fifth choice. So again, I know you guys aren't looking at this and it's radio, so it's a little hard to describe, but there's 17 countries listed, Australia, New Zealand, Sweden, France, Greece, Germany, Canada, Singapore, Italy, the Netherlands, Belgium, Japan, the UK, the US, Spain, South Korea, and Taiwan. And um, virtually every country's first choice is family, second choice is occupation. Um, But let me just look at the United States line, and in part because it's the only one that the word faith even ever appears on in the whole Mm -hmm. chart, in the whole chart. So the Mm -hmm. U.S., family is first, friends are second, material well-being is third, fourth is occupation or work, and fifth is faith. But on this entire chart— that's the only box where faith appears. And so yeah. when we think about the, um, the despair, when we think about loneliness and despair and these conversations that we have about people, I mean, even despairing of their own life and taking their own lives and the rise in suicide and all of the things associated with depression um, and even singleness. Okay, could it possibly be that our problem is we're not actually looking for meaning and fulfillment in the right place? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, it's it's possible that we ought to be pursuing faith and then we might find our lives to be, well, frankly, more meaningful. Yeah, it's kind of like what the you're sounding like Jeremiah, too, right now. Carmen, you need to watch out. Um, we're looking uh, we're looking to uh, we're like leaky cauldrons, right? We uh, mm. we've got holes in our buckets. Um yeah, I completely agree. And and the numbers would suggest, too, I mean, look at Gallup, some of Gallup's research relative to church membership and individuals that are going to 
going to church on a weekly or monthly basis right now. This is the first time um, in recorded Gallup history that in America specifically, what we have is below 50% um, being individuals that are attending or members of a particular church. And the U.S. is leading in that regard um, when you look around in Europe specifically. But what was concerning is, I mean, you, most of the countries that are listed, I'd say three-fourths of the countries that are listed um, are European. And Europe, we know, has uh, struggled and left the faith uh, by and large. They're in a very much a post-Christian society. But when you look at South Korea, for example, South Korea doesn't mention faith at all. And South Korea is a booming place of religion right now. I think they have three mm-hmm. of the top 10 largest churches in the world right now. And so there is reason for concern, but also I know it to be true at the end of the day when people, people might not listen to lessons that you teach, but they tend to typically pick up lessons that they experience. When we don't learn it through lessons and through our ears, we typically will change our ways when we start to experience some of that pain. And hopefully, hopefully when when many people are starting to experience this yearning for something more that they can't find in their family, that they can't find in their friends, they can't find in their work, they'll be faithful men and women to say, here, let me, let me, let me show you who Jesus is. Let me show you that the meaning of life can be found in something more than the work of your hands. All right. For those of you who are um, thinking, you know, it's all about making the world a better place for my children and grandchildren. It's all about uh, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. Let me just ask you this question. Do you know the name? Do you even know the name of your great-great-grandparents? Yeah, that's about uh, longer than um, our memory lasts in terms of how much we actually care generation to generation about what our family, um, who, who they even were, let alone... Um, what meaning and purpose we yield on their behalf. Okay, J- Nick, I got to have a different conversation because it's going to be okay. Thanksgiving in a couple of days. Um, so Thanksgiving sides, we started this debate yesterday. Do you call it stuffing or dressing? And is it made with cornbread? Oh, dressing, cornbread, yes. See, there uh, you go. Oh, yeah. oh mm-hmm. sorry, sorry. I, I meant dressing, yes. Uh, with uh, what's what's it called cornbread? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah for sure. Yeah, there you go. Okay, and um, pies. I'm taking oh. I'm taking pie votes today. There is something sweet and delectable in the South known as chess pie, which is essentially mm. just everything good in this world put into a pie crust and baked. That has to be number one. It's a it is a tangible reminder of God's goodness and grace in this broken world. <laughs> So for those of you who've never even heard of a chess pie, because it's totally possible there's people listening right now who this, I mean, it is a staple of the Southern dessert table. There is no question about it. Um, It's basically um, butter and sugar um, and vanilla. Like, I I don't, there's not really, there's really not, there's not a whole lot more in there. I think the psalmist actually was eating that when he said, (laughs) taste and see that the Lord is good. I think he was. Which is our... which is our little, that is our verse for Tasty Tuesday. So this is Taste and See Tuesday. We want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Nick Pitts, you um, you always bring a, a delight to our hearts. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your bride. Enjoy it. Oh, thank you so much, and happy Thanksgiving to y'all. Thank you. We'll be right back. My baby loves to watch me eat her. Over the river and through the woods 
All right, I, I love the conversation about what we're giving away and how open we are to um, receiving the good gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. It is free to us. It certainly cost him everything. Um, but what are we giving away to others this Thanksgiving week or this holiday season, this Christmas? I love the testimony and witness of the Ebenezer African Methodist Episcopal Church, so Ebenezer AME Church in Fort Washington. I just confess to you, I don't even know what state it's in. I'm looking at the headline. Uh, It's in Maryland, Fort Washington, Maryland. So they have been doing these drive-through gift card giveaways. They and they they've traditionally done um, you know giveaway programs for people in their community as an outreach. Um, but they've often been kind of kind of fellowshipy events. You know, you came, you participated, and they gave you a gift card as a part of what was going on. But during COVID, they started just doing these drive-through gift card giveaways. And so in the lead up to Thanksgiving, recognizing that people in their community um, were having a really hard time uh, paying for the regular things in their grocery cart, let alone those extra items for Thanksgiving. So on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning, in lieu of the congregation being in the sanctuary, um, doing what many congregations traditionally do on a Sunday morning, they took the church outside to the perimeter of their property and they gave $50 grocery gift cards away in Thanksgiving for the community where they live, in Thanksgiving for their neighbors, and in Thanksgiving to God as a witness and a testimony to others. I love this idea. They handed out a thousand cards for Thanksgiving um, for groceries. All right, so let's think about the way we're going to give away the grace of God, how we are going to give God thanks and return grace to God by extending it to more and more people. Our friend Luke Moon from the Philos Project is up next. He and I are going to survey some of the international headlines. We'll be right back. When kids are young, parents spend a chunk of time correcting behaviors. You know, don't touch the stove or share your toys. But as that kid grows up, the communication style needs to grow up as well. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If your kids are now 13, 14, or even older, and you're still correcting them like you used to, something has to change. Mom and Dad, it's time to move from constant correction to encouraging independent thought. Demanding statements will no longer deliver healthy results. Instead, your goal should be to train your kids to think for themselves, to act with discernment, and to navigate through a crazy world. As your interaction style grows, you might be surprised that your relationship with your team will grow as well. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. men will bow down before the throne and at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns when the man comes around our friend luke moon is back from the philos project you can find him online at philosproject.org for those of you looking for the spelling of that philos starts with a ph like you know philadelphia so philosproject.org luke Happy Thanksgiving week. Well, happy Thanksgiving week to you as well. All right. So I want to know, um, favorite, first of all, do you have turkey? Because apparently we have at least some group of listeners that have um, 
uh, meatloaf on Thanksgiving, which was totally new to me. What? Anyway, do, I know. Meatloaf? Do you have turkey? I know. And and what are the favorite sides? So yes, I have turkey. Uh, I've, I've had it a variety of ways. You know, fried is the recent addition. Done that for the last couple of years. Smoked before then. Uh, favorite sides? You know, it's, I actually like the cranberry salad, but not with the cranberries in the can. The kind that you actually make with actual cranberries you buy at the store. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a bunch and, of other stuff in know- there. Yeah, I need to know a little bit more about this cranberry salad. Is it does it have like a jello like is there some jello involved? Uh-huh. Like it Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. It it's got a gelatin involved. It has you know, it has like a little bit of crunch with the um mm-hmm. you, you the know pecans with, with in celery it? and some nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pecans mm-hmm. and uh and some and some orange to get a little bitter, mm-hmm. you know, because because you know what you need with cranberries is more bitterness, right? I don't know. I don't know what's up with the with the orange rind because it's like a little bitter. Take me down the road, but I guess uh, that's the thing. Well, I mean, but it's it's supplanted by sufficient amounts of sugar, right? That's exactly and, right. Uh, that's exactly so right. That's good. And then I also, you know, uh, I also love uh, you know uh, sweet potato souffle. You know, the kind mm-hmm. with. Uh, you put that nice crust of of nuts and uh you know uh like brown sugar on top <laughs> it's been a mm-hmm. while since the marshmallows showed up but the i can yeah that that gets me okay going. i have a I friend i have a friend who does this version of the sweet potato souffle that on the top um is like a creme brulee oh oh i wow. know okay i know okay. that's like the super duper fancy version I know. Anyway. <laughs> it's a fancy. That's pretty, pretty tasty. Yeah. We've been having a, um, a bit of a debate here on the show. Do you call it dressing or do you call it stuffing? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I think I call it stuffing. I'm pretty sure I call it stuffing. Okay. Yeah. But it's I'm not actually stuff. stuffed in the bird. I mean, if you're no, having fried no, or no, smoked turkey, no. you're not actually yeah. stuffing it in the bird, but you're still no, calling no. it stuffing. So there's a carryover yeah. there from some. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there you I go. Mean, you like, have answered. I'm not quite sure. You know, that whole, that whole stuffing thing is, it's, there's a lot of risk in that. It's a high risk mm-hmm. endeavor, you know? Totally. Because, totally. You know, like you need that heat to get all the way in that bird so it cooks. Otherwise, you, you know. And that's the totally. issue with turkey, so big. So. No, that's completely right. You're so right on that. All right, so um, maybe one more um, Thanksgiving uh, mystery for you to resolve for us. Um, in the pie category of Thanksgiving, which in our family is a whole, like there's an array of pies, um, mm-hmm. do you have a favorite Thanksgiving Day pie? You know, I I'm a, I am a, I, I see pie particularly in the fall kind, meaning like pecan or or um, or pumpkin pie, as really mm-hmm. a delivery mechanism for Cool Whip. I, mm-hmm. I love Cool Whip, and basically <laughs> it's just an excuse, you know, because you can't just walk up, you know, and throw the Cool Whip, ta- you know, tub on the table because I would just eat that with a spoonful. But no, because I'm more refined, I put it, heavily on a on a pumpkin pie and then and then it looked doesn't look strange even though you know the pumpkin pie is clearly buried beneath a large amount of cool whip 
All right. Well, there we go. See, that's good. Yeah. It's so helpful to know. Yeah. Thank you, Luke. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sure All thing. right. Now, on to, um, on to some of the headlines of the day. I have been... Uh, I've been listening and reading reports about a number of Afghans who are now resettling in the United States. So maybe we bring people up to speed on some things happening on that front. Yeah, well, several of the places where where the Afghan refugees ended up in the United States, particularly uh, military bases, Air Force bases, et cetera, have begun uh, emptying of the of the refugees. They're being resettled into different communities and that kind of thing. There are still communities, uh, you know, in in New Mexico. There's an Air Force base, uh, Holloman, that still has about 4,300. Uh, overall, there's somewhat around 25,000 that's still looking to get resettled in different parts of the country, and then also. There's a bunch overseas in 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 like the UAE and in some of our bases in other places, um, you know. But the these the refugees are are being given uh, a status called uh, humanitarian parolee, which means basically that that they are going to have to go through the standard asylum process, which is what there's currently something like you know a million other people in line before them. Right. And it's a process that, you know, it's not like, you know, it's it's not really easily done by computers. There's a lot of stuff that's manual in that. And there's just such a backlog. And it doesn't also I mean, it, it, it it's an uphill battle for the for the Afghans because, you know, there's um, over a million new immigrants that have come across the southern border that are also in line on that same asylum list, right? Mm. And so that's the challenge. Um, you know, and and I think, the, I mean, the other challenge is that it's just there's this, you know, I think it's hard for communities in general to, like, absorb a large number of people in, in at one time. I mean, you got to think, like, the U.S. adds a million yeah. people in in the last six months, you know that's that's hard to absorb. Regardless, I don't, I don't care what mm. what country you are. A million people is a lot of people, right? And yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a challenge. So if you're listening right now and you have um, individuals from other parts of the world who have resettled in your community, I'm, I'm definitely interested to hear um, you know your stories about that and maybe how your church is reaching out to them. We have 21 international groups living in the city where I live, and so there are actually um, more than a dozen expressions of the international church in the city where I live. wonder if that's true where you live. I've heard from a friend in, uh, in Sacramento, California, that there is uh, actually a little cobble uh, in Alameda County, California, that her church is engaged with. It's apparently the largest community of Afghans outside of Afghanistan. Uh, well, in the Western world. Mm, I'm guessing there are probably large groups of Afghans in other Middle Eastern countries as well. Anyway, lots of uh, cool things going on. Are we going to take a very brief break? When we come back, Luke Moon and I are going to turn our attention to some other international headlines and we're going to talk about Hanukkah, which actually starts this Sunday as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. I guess I'm just a lucky guy. Not prepared to tell you why. Strictly on account of my sweet potato pie. 
All right, picking up where we left off in our conversation with Luke Moon, you can find him at philosproject.org. Um, all right, Luke, anything else in international headlines that you want to be sure we talk about today? Because I also want to talk with you about um, Hanukkah. Yes. So the, the two other, you know, things to keep an eye on, one is this is is the, the related to the, the previous segment. Uh, there's a there's a bunch of migrants who have been backing up against the border with Poland. Uh, that situation with Belarus and Poland, it seems to be largely based upon the fact that the president of Belarus is using migrants as kind of a, uh, I don't know, a stick in the eye to the European Union, uh, because the European Union has basically said, you know, the the, the president, he, he stole the election, he's corrupt, he's a, he attacked uh, protesters, he's an all-around bad guy, which is which doesn't seem to be untrue. And and so he basically was flying people who were migrants from like Iraq and Syria and a bunch of other places into the capital and then throwing them against the border with Poland and creating this like kind of existential crisis for the Europeans because the Europeans can hardly look at a person stranded at a border and not be like instantly willing to open that border up except they're being thrown at Poland and Poland's like, nah, not us. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's created quite a situation. Um, it's the, some of the camps ha- that were, that were built up have, have uh, been, uh, have ultimately been taken down. A bunch of the migrants ended up actually going back home, which is a little strange if they were in such desperate situations, I guess it was easy both to get to, to Belarus and then back home again. So that's a little unsettling, but nonetheless, it's a, it's a very complicated situation. All right. I, um, I know you have such a heart for what is happening in the Middle East. And so um, I'm, I'm sure you are heartened as I was to see um, that this church in Raqqa um, uh, has this Armenian apostolic church in Raqqa has had its first service back in its building since being destroyed by ISIS uh, a number of years ago. So um, there are some good news stories in terms of the church and its perseverance um, around the globe. Love to talk with you, Luke, about um, Hanukkah. So for those of us who have not spent nearly as much time with our Jewish neighbors or with Jews in Israel as you have spent, um, are there things about Hanukkah, which starts this Sunday, that you feel like, you know, Carmen, as a Western Christian, is not very sensitive to these to these thoughts or these ideas, and these are things she should know. Well, the, the story of Hanukkah comes after the you know the the temple which was which was used uh, by basically Antiochus Epiphanes to the, you know it basically you know, it was it was emptied of everything Jewish, and there was pigs offered on the, the altar, and it was intentionally desecrated, right? And as a result, like there was a there was a very, you know, the Maccabee revolt, and ultimately the Greeks were pushed out, and they went to start uh, the the worship again in the temple, and they only had enough oil for one day, and that oil Mm -hmm. lasted eight days until they were able to get a new batch in, basically because it takes a few days to, to make oil. 
from from olive trees, right? And so that's that's the process. It seems very miraculous, and you know, it's in that intertestamental period. Uh, you know, the Book of Maccabees is is in the um, you know it's in the, the Catholic version of the Bible, but not in the Protestant one. But you know, one of the things that I think I love to highlight, and thank you for bringing this up, is is there is a a focus this year. Uh, that we are partnering with a bunch of Jewish organizations to 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 spotlight the issue of anti-Semitism, which is actually mm-hmm. one of the you know it's actually the, the 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 most hate crimes taking place in the United States these days are are against Jews. You know, there's a lot of Jews that I've talked to recently that have stopped wearing their kippah or the school cap, the thing that they wear. They wear on their head that signifies them as as being Jewish because they're they're afraid they're afraid of getting attacked, and and I don't think anybody I mean I don't think anybody should be attacked for the religious clothes that they wear, you know it's like you know some guy wears a cross around his neck and somebody walks up and punches him in the face because he's wearing a cross he'd be like oh that's that's wrong right so that's mm-hmm. kind of how the Jews are feeling these days, and so I think you know it's one of those it's a really great opportunity. Um, to build relationships uh, with Jewish people, um, if they if there are any in your community, I encourage those relationships. One of the things I've noticed over the years, Carmen, is that anti-Semitism manifests itself in different ways on on the political spectrum, right? On on the on the right, it's it's I love Israel and hate the Jews, and on the left, it's I love the Jews and hate Israel, right? But there's this connection whether whether Jews or anybody else likes it or not, between the, the nation of Israel, the the, the 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 land where Jesus walked and taught, and the Jewish people, uh, you know, who who live in our communities, right? And um, you know, and it, so I think one of the things that you know, I, I tend to be surprised more on the right, and I find that there's a lot of Christians that I encounter who are really do love. Israel, you know, they they like the idea of Israel, but they don't know any Jewish people, uh, and and they certainly don't have any particular relationships with any Jewish people. And so I, I've been really encouraging uh, Christians to just become friends, get to know. It's not have no ulterior motive than other than friendship, and that's you know, philos means friend in Greek, and so that's our starting point. And I think you'll be surprised by how how responsive. Uh, people are to you just being good old people, friends. All right, it takes like three days to make even a very small batch of olive oil from the time that you gather your olives. And you need a fair amount of olives. And you yeah. have to, yeah. So, yeah, sure. it's quite a process. You know, here's the amazing thing about the Internet. I could actually learn how to do this at home myself. Well, you have to have olive just... trees, though. You have olive oh, that's trees? true. Yes, because within two or three days of picking the olives, it does say that at the very beginning, doesn't it? Once uh-huh. you have picked the olives, you need to process them within two or three days. So, no, you yeah. you would have to take me back to Israel so that I could pick some olives. <laughs> Put me on the list, yeah. man. Hey, okay. I'm uh, I'm coming I'm coming up to see you in December awesome. for a visit the, at the Philos awesome. Project. I know, I know. That's, so that's look on great. look on your calendar; it'll be on there, I'm sure. Okay, yeah, I can't December wait. December the December the 10th, I think. All right. Yeah. That is that is Luke Moon, one of my um, dear brothers in Christ. Um, we love that you visit with us. Happy Thanksgiving week. Thank you, as always, for joining us. My pleasure. Very thankful. All right, 
Yeah. You guys can find Luke at philosproject.org. We'll be right back. Go on, get some rhubarb pie. That's what it's all about. Rhubarb pie. I know that many people are not going to actually have rhubarb pie on Thanksgiving, but it makes me sad that we're not going to have rhubarb pie on Thanksgiving. Um, Maybe you are going to have rhubarb pie on Thanksgiving, in which case I feel like you are among the most privileged people um, who I know. Mm -hmm. All right. What is on your uh, Thanksgiving pie buffet? I will be at least making pie crust tonight. I don't know if I'm going to get the pies made. Here's the challenge. We have to travel to my mom's tomorrow afternoon, and I don't really have a pie transportation plan for so many pies. I'm also hearing from Anne, by the way. Remember, you can text me during the show, 877-933-2484. I'm hearing from Anne that apparently that pumpkin that we buy in a can from Libby's is not actually pumpkin. It's some proprietary squash. Some tan skin Dickinson squash. And so we're having squash pie if we're, I didn't know that. I don't know how I feel about that. So Anne is roasting her own pumpkins today to make her pumpkin pie. So I actually think we're just all heading to Anne's for Thanksgiving because that sounds delicious. All right. Now for another debate that I did not get into with my friend Luke because I felt like it was ungracious to do so. Cool Whip, are you kidding me? Okay. It takes almost no time and, frankly, not very many resources to make your own real whipped cream. So in the same way that flaked potatoes are not okay and you should just boil your own potatoes and mash them up and make real mashed potatoes, you should also make real whipped cream. This is, it is I think, I think real whipped cream. Whipping cream, you know, whipped up with some sugar really nothing better. All right. So there you go. Is it whipped cream or Cool Whip? I'd like to know. You can text me at 877-933-2484. The debate is for the next hour, whipped cream or Cool Whip on your pies at Thanksgiving. 877-933-2484. Oh, there are people already voting. I love that. All right. A couple of votes already for Real Whipped Cream. What exactly is Cool Whip anyway, Jim asked in Simsbury, Connecticut? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Whipped cream or Cool Whip? Going to have to have uh, those of you who think Luke is right and Cool Whip is the is the dream. Going to need to hear from you. 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.